He's got a beautiful backswing. That's, oh, he got all of that one. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. Lay up with an iron into the hazard. Well, that wasn't quite what I meant, you know. Hello and welcome to another edition of the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. And today we have a little players recap. We will have T-Dub on the show. Our guy Colby Powell is not able to make it today. He's starting his first day on the job at golf channel that's big time news for him uh we will have jim woodward later and uh so t-dub what were your overall thoughts on the players i mean there's a billion things we can get into but cam smith walks away with 3.6 million and honor bond lahiri just makes his commercial par on 18 uh for just over two million dollars uh so what were your overall thoughts of the week down at tpc sawgrass yeah, I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to dilute from the play by getting into some of the other things I want to get into, as opposed to you know some rulings and things like that. But I, I think just overall, the, the thing you got to take away from this week, Sam, is that Cam Smith is one of the best players in the world now, and it's really no doubt about it. And I think that he honestly may be currently the best putter in the world right now. I mean, you look at it. Yes, for the whole week, he gained two point eight eight strokes on the greens, gained four point one six yesterday. It's just absolutely absurd on the greens and. You know, Sam, he's one of the few players that I can remember who lost over a stroke off the tee for the entire week and still ended up winning the tournament. And it's on one of the toughest golf courses that they play on an annual basis. So, you know, I do think that we saw it yesterday on um, on 15 and 16, and a little bit even on 18 with his uh, not wanting to go left. But Cam Smith does have that left miss. He gets a little bit over the top on the backswing, a little loosey-goosey as I like to call it. But his short game is just so solid, especially his putter. He I don't think he ever misses putts inside 10 feet anymore. But the whole week, Sam, I was rooting for uh, Audubon Lahiri so much. I've liked him ever since, even before he was on the President's Cup team um, down there. And I believe I believe he was on the Melbourne team. And uh, But nevertheless, uh, I was rooting for Lahiri. I just know how big of a win that if he was able to win this tournament would have been for India. You know, we talk about Hideki Matsuyama when he won and how much it influenced the country of Japan. Well, I think we would have a very similar effect with Lahiri and the uh, country of India. They're one of the uh, second most populated in the world, I believe. So would have just been awesome. But I think even a second place for him will boost him up. You know, Sam, Lahiri got all the way up to 33rd in the world a few years ago, and uh, now he dropped all the way down like 300 and something. So, you know, the second place yesterday bumps him up a lot. And, uh, you know, I really hope that he's able to get his game back. But you just can't shy away from Cam Smith, who, Sam, you've really been on for about the last year and a half. I feel like I might have been one of the first people on this planet on Cam Smith. I love what I saw from him probably, you know, like I, like you said, like a year and a half ago, two years ago. And I'm like, this kid is going to be the next superstar on the PGA Tour. And I was right. What I didn't know was that Cam Smith was going to turn into the best putter on this planet or any other planet. 
Cam Smith gained 11 and a half shots on the field on the greens this week, and it totally saved him. I mean, he one-putted, what, like eight or nine of his last 10 holes, right, T-Dub? And, and he was hitting it, you know, I, he was in the pine straw more than anybody that I've ever seen. He lost, like you said, a shot, uh, 1.3 shots off the tee. Uh, but Cam Smith, I mean, rock solid, and every single putt seemed like it was dead weight right in the center of the hole. Um you know, off of Cam Smith for one second, two guys that I thought had great chances to win the tournament uh, and things didn't go their way were Paul Casey and Victor Hovland. Now, Paul Casey, I think, got one of the worst breaks of all time on 16. If you didn't see it, his ball rolled into another player's pitch mark in the middle of the fairway. Uh, and if you don't know the rule, if it's in its own, if you're in your own pitch mark, you were allowed to take a free drop. But he was in another player's pitch mark, which meant he had to play it from basically an embedded ball. And uh, and it cost him, you know, a chance at really putting some pressure on Cam Smith on 16 with him in the left trees. Uh, you know, they ended up both parring 16, and I thought that that was a great chance for Casey to make eagle or birdie and maybe put – put uh you know cam smith under the gun a little bit what i saw from victor hovland on the other hand i thought he could have won the tournament by three or four shots you know he had the terrible chip at 12 where he ended up making bogey when he was right off the green and won uh and then the terrible chip at 15 gunned it about 15 feet by didn't birdie 16 and then it hooks it in the water on 18 he got absolutely nothing out of that round but t-dub what were your thoughts on casey and hovland yeah, I, 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 like I said, I, I think Casey got one of the best, one of the, I'm sorry, not best, one of the worst breaks of all time. I mean, and one thing I do want to say is that if, if balls in the fairway are still making pitch marks, they should be playing lift clean and play. They didn't play lift clean and play the last two rounds. Cause just things like that shouldn't happen because like, being in a divot is horrible enough, but a pitch mark is so much worse because you can't get any club on the ball and you have literally no idea how it's going to come out. At least in a divot, you just know that it's kind of going to come out a little clanky, and you can at least get a club through the ball and make contact. So I think that that is a little bit on it's, the tr- on the um, PGA Tour on that aspect. T-Dub, it's got to uh, be one so, of the dumbest rules in all of sports. I mean, it's a free drop if you're in your own pitch mark, but it's not if you're in someone else's. It totally screwed him over. It's a perfect drive right on the crucial drive on 16 coming down the stretch for millions and millions of dollars and you're going to penalize a guy for a perfect shot. I think that's absolutely ludicrous. It's absolutely ridiculous because, you know, he says in his post-show interview, it was the best drive you hit all day. So, you know, <laughs> exactly. after you go lucky for you know, the best drive you hit all day, you're in the – because the thing is, too, like, you know, people don't realize on his third shot, you know, because people are like, well, you can still lay up and make birdie, but he, he didn't have any control of his ball. It went probably a little further left than he would have liked. He had to hit it over the tree. Uh, that's on the left side of that fairway, which is one, probably one of the reasons, in my opinion, that he had to hit a little higher and it came up short and spun back um, because he wasn't able to flack the ball in that shot. So I think that even on that aspect, it messed with your layup so much because you can't control what it's doing. And Yeah, but it, my it, point it, is he wasn't going to lay up from there if he's not in that pitch mark. No, no, he's going to make – he's going to do it worse two-putt birdie. He, he may hit a shot like Ricky I mean, he could have hit it. In the, hit let's, be, let's be fair. He could have hit it in the water, but it, it, it totally eliminated him from having a chance to put any pressure on Cam Smith on the keyhole of the tournament, and Cam Smith was able to kind of coast in. And, and well, at that Sam point, we case. thought he was going to coast in. We'll get to what he did on 18, but, you know, you see what I'm saying. 
Yes, absolutely. It, there was no one in Cam's group because Casey and Cam were in the same group. If he was able to do that, Casey in that aspect would have put some more pressure. But Sam, don't you think that it hurt the tournament a little bit in the aspect? You have someone that's, that's gunning for the guy in the lead and he hits a perfect drive and he's not oh, able to go for a par five? That, 100%. I mean, it really did. I think you got to change that rule after this ha- after this happens. I can't believe it hasn't changed already. I I, I I mean, right when it happened, I was like, wait. You know, I texted you guys. I was like, he's going to have to play that, isn't he? It's absolutely crazy. And, and you know, it, it doesn't help that Casey's been known throughout his career for not being able to close and win tournaments. So, you know, it's kind of like, well, you know, if it would have happened to – Someone who's really proven, let's just say it happened to Justin Thomas or something like mm-hmm. that. I honestly think that it would have been a little bit more polarizing, and we might actually get some change happen because that's what usually happens. And we all know if this would have happened to Tiger, that they would be changed tomorrow in that aspect. Yeah. So, you know, I think that it happened to Paul Casey is what hurts it. But, Sam, I want to ask you about Hovland because at this point, Sam, is it not just completely in his head his chipping? It 100% is. I mean, he lost 1.83 shots around the green in round four. I mean, how can you be, what is he now, the number two, number three ranked player in the world and have no feel around the greens? I I don't believe that it doesn't, I, I don't believe that it has to do with him having no feel. I think it has to do with literally the chipping yips. I mean, it feels like every single chip he hits has no touch on it. it it's just a line drive. It goes off in his hands. It's like a rocket. And I mean, you're sitting there with all the green in the world to work with on 12. And if you make birdie, you're going to be in the lead. And Victor Hovland couldn't even keep it on the green. He almost hit it in the water. I mean, you and me could hit these shots. It's pathetic for us to hit some of the chips that he was hitting. And I, I, I just hate it for him that a lot of these tournaments and a lot of the reasons why he hadn't won in the continental United States is because he can't chip. Well, and, you know, Sam, a lot of it was made out these last couple of weeks that, you know, Hovland was second to last in strokes gain around the green. Well, with his performance this week, he has now officially moved to DFL on the PGA Tour and strokes gain around the green. And I think you made a great point, the fact that he's number three in the world now and he's still able to contend and potentially win tournaments with how bad his short game's been. It's how it's great of a ball striker he is. He's the best, and, one of the best ball strikers on tour. And, you know, one thing to notice, too, is, you know, because we talked about it a lot during the Ryder Cup with how bad his putting is, and, you know, I'll get the analytics here in just a second, but to me it looks like his putting has improved, too. So Definitely you know, has. That's all. And, you know, one thing about, you know, the around, right, strokes gain around the green is so good because it doesn't take um, it doesn't take up and downs into account. So, you know, if you chip it to 20 feet and make it, you know, it looks as an up and down, so it looks good. You know, a really good chipper will know not really you hit it to 20 feet from a really easy chip, but, you know, I, I just think Sam, yeah, so this year, uh, Sam Hovland is 67th in putting, so a little bit uh, almost in the top third in putting. So that's uh, definitely an improvement for where he's been. And I just think that, kind of like you said, we have to figure out some way to, because I don't, the only, I don't see anything quote unquote horribly technique wise. He has a little bit of technique issues in the bunkers, but really around the greens, the only thing I see is that it's like whenever you watch a really good player chip, like you watch Phil Chip, Tiger Chip. Uh, even like a Luke Donald chip, you see they have very similar tempos on almost all shots, you know, like they're not stabbing all the time. And, or if they are, it's in a really deep line, but not just around the greens. And when I see Hovland, there's just no tempo there. It's like one time he'll swing 
like a hundred percent on a chip, the next he'll do thirty percent on a chip, and it just there's no feel there at all. And I think that you know, it's, I don't think he's one of the field that's not practicing it. But you get out in the heat of competition, there's there's no way to replicate that type of pressure, Sam. Yeah, and it just seems like he's not picking a spot and and going. It, it seems like there's no free throw, for lack of a better term, mentality. You know, where you just look and go, like they're they're there's a certain touch you have to have around the greens that most of these guys have. And I feel like Victor Hovland probably has it too, but he's so in his head. The things that I see is he's really far away from the ball for chipping and his stance is a little wide. It just seems too mechanical to me. It seems like at this point it can't get worse. So maybe just try to simplify things a little bit, right? And, you know, he could – I think sometimes too he could get the go kind of old school esque kind of keep the ball low on the ground and let it run. Um, seems like a lot of times he's trying to carry the ball over halfway onto the green and then hoping that it checks and being and that's one of the hardest things to do whenever you're struggling with your chipping is knowing how much your ball is going to spin. So I think for him just trying to keep it simple, keep the ball on the ground. I'm not wouldn't necessarily go Tiger at waste management that we're hitting five irons from forty yards off the green, but uh, you know just get the you know maybe use some. Uh, you know, this gap wedge or whatever it is, pitching wedge, and just try to try to keep the ball low. And uh, you know, obviously, how much he's practiced that it's hard. So when you get out in the competition, you want to do it comfortable. But right now, Sam, it doesn't look like anything's comfortable to him. I totally agree. And Victor Hovland was in the news this week for something other uh, than his chipping. We'll get to that probably a little bit with Woody, but before we get to Woody, T-Dub, I want to ask you about Cameron Smith on 17 and 18. Now, if you didn't see it, Cam Smith hit it right of the right pin on 17. To me, that was very lucky. And then on 18, he had snap-hooked every single drive pretty much heading up to 18 on the back nine. I mean, he was just rolling the rock. That's why, you know, he had the lead on 18. But then he blows it right through the fairway into the pine straw. Total jail over there. And he tries to hit this punch shot where all you have to do, you could go straight sideways, take your medicine, and you win the tournament. Fortunately for him, he gets up and down from, what was it, 60 yards, 70 yards, and and throws it up to three feet and rolls it in for his bogey. But, man, just take your medicine. We've seen it from Cam Smith time and time again. The thing that sticks out to me is when he did it in Memphis, same kind of hole, water on the left, blows it through the fairway, almost out of bounds, Tries to hit a, tries to hit the miracle shot. It hits the tree and ricochets out of bounds to the right in Memphis. Here he blows it through the fairway on his punch shot into the water. Just take your medicine and walk away with your trophy, Cam Smith. My goodness. Yeah, it it seemed like to me, Sam, on on eighteen. You know, it he was he played it seemed like he needed par to win, and it seemed like you know at the time it seemed like he could make double and still won. He ended up only needing. A bogey, and it seemed like there's just so much easier ways to go about that. Yeah, I was surprised when he pulled out driver on the tee, and you know, with him missing, especially with him missing his drives on 15 and 16 and left. And I don't just mean left; I mean a lot left. They're low duck hooks, and that's yes. that's when you that's when you know a hook's bad is when it's low. If it's a really high hook, that's when you know it's somewhat manageable. But when you hit a low snap hook, that's when you know the nerves get into play, and you just shut down everything right before you hit the ball. And I, I will say this about Kansas punch shot: it's it's in the moment, you, you got to think, yeah, I want, I need to hit this out to whatever the fat part of the fairway is, which for, for that hole would have been straight sideways. But he wanted to try to get it up close. And it looked like he had – looked to me like he had a slight angle, but he needed to cut it about 10 yards 
And I think, because you made a really good point, Sam, about uh, Memphis, because 18 at Memphis and 18 at Stargast are very similar, very similar. Yes. And I think that when Cam was trying to hit that punch shot, he was nervous about hitting the tree that was on that right side because I, I look at the punch shot, I look at where it went out, it looked like it went about probably 8 to 10 yards left of that tree. And I feel like if he didn't have those thoughts in his head, he would have went probably – four to five yards left of the tree. And in that aspect, just those couple of yards is the difference between that ball staying up and not staying up. Um, I don't agree with the riskiness of it. Um, but as we saw, he was very comfortable with that third shot or with that fourth shot in this aspect. It was officially 57 yards, and he hit it to three feet from the hole with all that money on the line just shows the guts he has. And, and, you know, Sam, I agree with you with what happened on 17. I think it was a little bit of luck. You know, everyone was saying the wind's coming off the right on that hole yesterday. And so for a lot of those guys, they're either aiming at the flag and hope the wind brings it back or hoping it or aiming a little left and then the wind could take it and go too far. But Cam hit a shot and he kind of held it up against the wind. And with the way that green's designed, that the little peninsula comes out with the pins at. So if you hit a shot that goes up against that wind at all, it's going to come up short because it's fighting against that wind. I think that's what happened uh, to Sam Burns and Terrell Hatton. But uh, Cam, you know, luckily had his yardage and was able to hit it four feet but yeah it seems like him and Ricky Fowler the only people we've seen ever hit it right of that pin and uh, able to go on and win the tournament so I mean you got to give him credit and you know I give him credit as well Sam I mean starts off with four straight birdies but then bogey seven eight and nine three holes in a row could have easily thrown in the towel lost the tournament at that point but then proceeds to go after that to make four straight birdies he had one par and 13 holes that's, that's <laughs> truly unbelievable and he may end up making 10 birdies on the day on that golf course. So, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, I've, I've talked a little bit of slack on the tournament and, and sawgrass, and I probably will in a little bit as well, but I, I do think that the correct person won the tournament this week. Sam. It's ironic that he made so many birdies, but I thought his two key putts were on, uh, let's see, was it 14 and 15 that he made those clutch par putts where, you know, that tournament could have switched in an instant, especially, you know, with Casey trailing right behind. It felt like a little bit of match play right there. Back to him on 17 real quick. I thought you might have jinxed him when we were texting back and forth. You said that you didn't necessarily like the pin. You don't necessarily like the pin on 17 being back right for the final round because you think it's kind of the most boring pin, correct, if, if I'm not, you know, speaking out of hand. Yes, but, yes yeah, I, I agree. I just, I, I think that, when you talk about final round excitement and what that hole is supposed to bring, I think that a back middle pin where it was in the first round would create more drama because I think more players would try to attack the pin and go long as opposed to attack a right, right pin and miss it right. And uh, Or I think a front pin would at least create maybe some hole-in-one drama like Lowry did on Saturday or like the 16th at Augusta does for us every year. I got you. And we can get in. Uh, into that more a little bit after the break. Uh, but my point was, I, I thought you might have jinxed him right there because you were saying, you know, these guys, and I agree with this, these guys never really miss wedges right. Uh, and, and he almost did. It, luckily, he was aimed in the middle of the green uh, and missed right and got away with it. Uh, but for the people that were saying, you know, huge onions by Cam Smith on 17, I thought, you know, 
not necessarily. I, I thought it might have been a little bit of a, a tentative move uh, through the ball there from Cam Smith, and he got away with it, but luckily he had the right distance, and of course he rolled it in because why not after all the putts that he rolled in this week. Uh, okay, we're going to take a little break here on the 73rd hole, the award-winning official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. After the break, we're going to have our man Jim Woodward. Woody is making his first appearance on the show of 2022 you are not going to want to miss this stay with us here on the 73rd hole the official podcast of golf oklahoma when something the size of a golf ball hits your roof you need to call mccray roofing mccray roofing is oklahoma's designer roofing service specialist for years jeff mccray and the experienced team at mccray roofing and exteriors have served fellow oklahomans by helping them with their roofing needs McCray Roofing uses only top quality materials and professional crews to make sure that each job is done right so it will give you the years of service, security, and protection you need from the unpredictable Oklahoma weather. McCray Roofing offers residential and commercial roofing, ventilation services, and custom copper designs. McCray Roofing is dedicated to exceeding the homeowner's expectations. It's not just a roof. It is your home's crowning glory. Call McCray Roofing today at 405-692-4000. That's 405-692-4000. Make sure to also visit their website at mccrayroofing.com. That's M-C-R-A-Y roofing.com. Don't get caught with a leaking roof. Contact McCray Roofing for your free inspection today. Going along here on the 73rd hole, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. And now we are welcomed for the first time in 2022, the Hall of Famer, Jim Woodward, joining us on the show. Woody, if I'm not mistaken, you got inducted into a Hall of Fame recently, did you not? Yeah, and it was for golf. How about that for a shocker? (laughs) I mean, I can can see getting inducted in a lot of Hall of Fames in my life, but golf wasn't one of them. When I started, that was not even on my uh, uh, radar. So uh, it was a a really great honor, and uh, it it really was special that uh, they thought enough of my career that they uh, inducted me. That was pretty cool. And it was for the South Central PGA, correct? Yes, yes, South Central PGA. I'm I'm not looking for my invitation to the World Golf Hall of Fame anytime in the near future. <laughs> well, Woody, Woody, we had a great tournament this past week, and we love to have you on after big events. And, man, was there everything you could ever want in this tournament from the windy conditions to the rainy conditions to a little, you know, bad break for Paul Casey on 16 that I've never seen to Victor Hovland and Daniel Berger getting into it. And then Cam Smith just rolling the rock. Like I've never seen, where do you want to start Woody? Oh gosh. Well, I'll tell you what I enjoyed is the few times I got to play the players championship. There was one year guy, on 17, I remember having to hit a five iron and I'd never seen it in all the years prior to that of anybody having to hit that much club on that hole. So for me, it was kind of entertaining that one day to watch it with that wind because that target looks like you're trying to hit a dime on the, uh, in the middle of water. Mm -hmm. And, uh, 
uh, when you're when you got a five iron or a six iron or something like that, and that wind's gusting, and that was long before stadium golf had all those, you know, all those buildings around, which makes that wind even swirl more. Um, I thought it was just kind of humorous, to be honest with you. I was, I really wanted to see, you know, who had the talent to pull the shot off, and and it, watching, not a lot of them did. <laughs> so um, that was fun to watch. Um, what you really see in that golf tournament more than you ever see is depending on your tee time made all the difference in the world. If you could win that golf tournament or not. And, uh, the guys that went early late, boy, they got the best draw. That late early draw was not what you wanted that, that week for sure. Yeah, what you know, you mentioned that you played there when you had hit a five iron on 17. So you probably experienced a little bit of the corners with those guys. Okay, so just kind of let our listeners know, I mean, how tough is that golf course going to play when the weather conditions get like that? Oh, it's just, it, it's, it's, a, it's a form of brutality that no man should go through. Um, every swing is just really difficult, especially, you know, a lot of those holes, when the wind blows like that, it's usually that direction. And, and you get breezes down there, which is common, but when it's really howling, that was probably out of the north. I'm pretty sure it was. And so you've got holes that, that you really don't even realize how hard they are. 17, 18 back-to-backers got as good holes as you'll play with that wind blowing in like that. Um, the front nine's got some really tough holes on it, too. But any time you watch professional golfers, there's, there's a couple of things that make it really hard for them. One is really deep rough, which sometimes doesn't seem to affect them as much as it used to. Uh, the other thing is firmness of the golf course, which can change it. But the main thing that you'll see scores balloon on any golf course, any golf tournament, is when the wind blows. And we coming from Oklahoma know that better than most. You know, you guys know how it is. You, you take any golf course you play, and you play it calm, and then you play it with a 30 to 40 mile an hour gust, and all of a sudden that golf course that you think is pitch and putt turns into quite a monster. And so that one's already a little bit of a monster, and now put it on that, it's steroids. It's just brutal is what it is. I don't know how to explain it to you guys unless you're there and you're trying to hit those shots. I know one thing. There's two things you're really happy of when that when you get those kind of conditions. One is you, every hole you play, you got one less, and when you're finally finished, you can get the heck out of there. It's just <laughs> brutal. What do you, so would you agree with Brandel Chambly or Paul McGinley? They were having a big debate on whether the 17th and 18th were playable in that win. Brandel thought they should have suspended play because of wind, uh, and Paul McGinley thought that Brandel was crazy. Which side of that debate would you fall on? Well, I mean, you, you fall on the debate of one is kind of a wuss and the other one's a real golfer. One is from <laughs> Europe, one's from America. <laughs> Um, you know, right there speaks volumes of it because in Europe you play in conditions that are just absolutely horrible a lot of the time. So those guys are kind of used to it. I will say this, that, yeah, if you were on the wrong side of the draw, that was a bad break for you. But everybody's got to play that hole and everybody's got to play 18. So obviously I think it's a great hole because if you look back through the history of that hole, I mean, that's what makes that golf turn. That'd be like saying number 12 that Augusta is a bad hole. What, are you kidding me? (laughs) No, it's not. It's just a hard hole, especially if the wind's blowing. So 
Oh, Brandel. You know, Brandel loves to make – he just likes to get people stirred up. That's, what <laughs> that's all I got to say about Brandel. <laughs> Uh, Woody, you know, another guy that knows how to play in the wind, he was ball striking it great this week, was Victor Hovland. But I want to ask you, because you spent quite a bit of time uh, around Victor Hovland out at Oak Tree, you know, I thought that he really should have won this golf tournament, Woody, but what cost him was his chipping. Not only his chip on 12, but on 15, didn't birdie 16, and then, you know, the bad drive on 18 finally did him in. But what do you see from Victor Hovland's chipping that it it just seems like he has no touch and no feel, and now it's all in his head, Uh, just from my perspective? What do you see maybe, you know, mentally or technically from Victor Hovland around the greens? I just think he's almost too mechanical when he chips. If you you watch a good chipper, a good putter, they're really – they got unbelievable feel and touch. He looks just really mechanical when he's trying to chip his golf ball. Like he has, he doesn't see it. You know what I mean? How some guys will look at a shot and they go, well, I got to land it here and it's going to roll like this. I can make this chip. Victor sometimes looks like he's saying, please, God, just get it on the green. <laughs> I mean, I, I just, I just don't know. I, I'm, I'm not about ready to question a guy of that caliber, but I do wonder if he's, if he's almost been over-instructed. And I know that sounds crazy, guys, but it's in the world we live in now with so much technology out there and so many statistics and so much crap in their minds, I think he's just overwhelmed. I, I just think if he went out and just said, you know what, when he was a kid, he probably chipped great. And, and go back to not really thinking about it and just try to make something that looks like a, a relaxed or a more normal motion. He just looks real mechanical. That's all I got to say about that. Woody, do you think that whenever you're going through something like that, like the, I'm not going to go as far as the chipping is, but it's pretty close. I mean, DFL and throw stand around the green this year. Do right. you think that it's one of those things where you can practice through it, or do you think that you just need to keep going through competition as you can? Because, you know, we were talking about this uh, before we had you on. There's just no way to really replicate that, what it's going to be like in competition. So, I mean, how, how would you – go about not just even the technical side of it, but just the mental side of getting over what I was going through around the green. Well, that is a, that is a tremendous point because you can practice till the cows come home. I mean, you really can, and you can sit down at a green and practice chipping and look really good. And then the first time you get what we call a little bit of a, a crap in your neck and you can't breathe, all of a sudden that motion doesn't become quite as well. Uh, I know of only one way, and that would be to play through it. And I thought he'd kind of work through his chipping problems uh, until recently. And then all of a sudden that, that, that black cloud came back over him again. Um, he's a world-class player. He's not stupid. He'll figure it out. But he's got to get when he chips the golf ball that he doesn't put so doggone much pressure on himself. He just doesn't look comfortable. And uh, – you know, he might need to just uh, go back with the old theory. I don't give a darn where it goes. Just let me just try to pitch the ball like a normal human would pitch it. And uh, but can't do it unless you're out into the gun. And he's got to do it under the gun. You guys are right. That's the only way to get better. Woody Victor Hovland was also in the news this week for the Daniel Berger ruling. Now, if anyone didn't see it, Daniel Berger thought his ball crossed the line way farther up towards the 16th green than Victor Hovland and Joel Damon did. Now, Woody, here's my question to you is, 
to me, I think that it, it puts everybody in a tough place because I think all three guys thought that they were doing the noble thing and, and, and trying to make a correct drop because it, the instant replay shows that, you know, Daniel Berger's ball did start, you know, to the left center of the green where Victor Hovland thought it started at the pin. But in the moment, they didn't have the instant replay to find out exactly where the ball went in. And then there was an argument whether, uh, you know, Daniel Berger should drop up closer to the green or not. And my question to you is, in that situation, I've, I feel like we need to come up with something better other than having the players argue where the ball went in. I mean, this is the PGA Tour, and, you know, if we don't have the video evidence of where it went in, I feel like the official has to step in and, you know, at least be paying attention and make a ruling on that and don't put Victor Hovland, Joel Damon, and Daniel Berger in that tough of an awkward spot, uh, you know, with three holes left to go in the tournament. Yeah, that that's one of those rare cases where the Hovland and 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 Dom, how do you say his last name? Damon. I Damon. never get it yes. right. Yep. Damon. They thought it went in a different direction than what Berger did. Berger's the guy that hit the shot. He had the best view of it. Now Damon actually was on a better line than Victor. Victor was all the way across the fairway. I can't imagine how he could really see it as well as those guys could. Um, I think it's almost impossible, though, Sam. I know we, with all the technology that we have, even the tracer line that we saw on television didn't give me enough really to go off of. Right. Other than the fact I thought Victor and that Damon were right. I thought the ball, he was probably trying to get up by the green, you know, and drop right up there, which I don't blame him. I mean, right. that's an easier pitch than 95 yards or 97 yards. But those other guys are there to defend the field. And uh, I told you guys that story when I was playing in Hawaii one time. There was a guy early, and we were one of the first groups off, and he kept twisting his spikes up, and I kept tapping the marks down that he was making. And come to find out he was doing it on purpose because he, he wanted to leave those spike marks long before we could tap those down. And I was trying to defend the field, and I almost got a fight. But uh, <laughs> it, I thought it was, I thought it was, I could tell what he, it was wrong, what he was doing. Now, right. in Berger's case, that, that, that situation I ran into was really, it was cut and dried. This with Berger was not cut and dried. He thought it went one place. They thought it went the other. And I guess when it came down to it, it was two against one. And Berger finally just subsided and said, you know what? I'll drop the ball back here. I don't like it, but I'm going to drop the ball back here now. You can bet that the only problem with that kind of situation is I don't believe Victor and Damon are going to get a Christmas card from Berger this year. <laughs> I think it's, I think it's, you know, you set you set that tone, and now all of a sudden they were defending the field. But and I'm sure a lot of guys came up to him later and said thank you. But in Berger's eyes, uh, they're they're jerks, and and they will be jerks now for the rest of their careers, which I I don't like. That's what I don't like about that. The official showed no guts at all, but I don't blame him. He didn't do anything wrong. He was not there. He could not. He didn't see anything. So he's got to rely on the players to tell him where it went. So it's one of those situations where golf's such an unusual sport where you, you do everything in your power not to cheat. And and so Berger, I'll give all the credit to him. He finally just broke down and said, okay, I'll drop it here. If that's what you guys think, that's where I'll drop it. I don't like it, but I'll drop it here. 
and that's what you get. So golf's unusual that way. That the, the, the players actually police themselves. Well, you know, it makes it a little bit harder whenever we got a twenty million dollar purse on the line. So then, kind of puts everyone yeah. a little bit more more stringent and get get things right. So you know, Woody, you played a lot of golf in in the Asia area, and you know, I was rooting. The guy I was rooting for yesterday was Anubhan Lahiri, and uh, you know, yeah. this is someone who's been over there. You know, how much? I mean, obviously, his second place go a long way. So, you know, one thing I want to ask you from a technical standpoint was his shot on 18. You know, it looked like he missed a little right, was scared to go left. You know, what did you see there? And then, you know, follow up after that, you know, how much would have his win or if he's able to get back to where he was, 33rd in the world, even get better than that, maybe win a major, how much of an impact would that have on the country of India? Oh, my gosh. You know, and, and you can't really relate to that because when I was in India playing the Indian Open, I was in Calcutta. And I saw things that were so uh, desolate and de- depressing. People, people literally on the street dead that they haven't come to get them to pick them up. Uh, so, in, in a way, it, 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 the third world countries, it, it, it's, it's what we have to be careful of in America that we don't become that. Because what you have is the ultra rich and you have the dirt poor. And that's what you have. Any country you go to that we call a third world country so the impact it would have on the Oprah Rich and in India would be over the top, impressive. But the guy that's starving on the street, he could give a rat's pitui of, of if that guy made a bogey, a birdie, or a quad. He couldn't care less. Yeah, Woody, I, I also want to ask you about that second shot on 18. It seemed like Honor Bon Lahiri, you know, kind of had – a little bit of a uh, anti-water swing there, for lack of a better term. It, it, T-Dub brought up the you know technical side of that uh, second shot, but to me, it's a lot yeah. easier to bail out right uh, when you have $2 million sitting there already in your pocket, basically. Yeah. You know, it's hard to relate because I never played for that kind of money, but he hit such a good tee shot. Uh, the tee shot has ever been as hard as the second shot, so... I was kind of surprised that he would flare it as bad as he did. I looked for him to be 25, 30 feet right of the pin. Uh, but let me tell you something. On the downswing, as you're coming down and you're thinking of about a million two or if you jack it in that water and make six or seven and you go from a million three to uh, 700000 you know, $500,000 will make you flinch. I don't care what you do. And no matter how you cut it in golf, there are nerves. And – Obviously, as good as he was playing, he just didn't trust himself. And that's, that's okay. I mean, I, I don't knock the guy. He got the ball up and down and saved par and got second all alone. Now, if he'd hit it over there, flared it right, and then chunk some dirt over it and ended up making five or six, then I would have gone, well, why didn't you just shoot at the pin? But uh, that's a big week for him. It secures his playing privileges. Uh, he's, he's good now. He's golden with that much money in the bank. And maybe it was a good learning lesson. Uh, I hope the next time he's there, I'll bet you he'll be a little bit more froggy and maybe fire a little bit more spin. We'll see. Who knows? Woody, the last thing I want to ask you about the tournament was I, I felt like Casey got one of the worst breaks in the history of golf on 16. You know, with, with Cam Smith duck hooking it in the left trees, I felt like that was the time for someone to finally put the pedal down on Cam Smith and finally put some pressure on him. Uh, but, yeah. it, you know, Casey hits it in that pitch mark. To me, that's one of the dumbest rules in all of golf, is it not? 
Well, yeah, that that was really a, I, I mean, what are the odds of that golf ball rolling into that pitch mark? I One mean, that was billion. just unbelievable. Right. I mean, it just – but welcome to golf. I mean, you know what? When you tee off, is there anything on the tee box before you go out that says, now everything's going to be fair for you today. <laughs> everything's going to go your way. I wish, uh, And Woody. it's not. Yep. And, and it would be great if that was true. But I don't know. I've never seen a ball roll into a pitch mark. So the, the rules, they try their best to make the rules as fair as everybody as they can. But I don't know that I don't know that Cam Smith was going to back up. I mean, he maybe if you put a little heat on him, but he hit a great shot on 17. He's probably one of the best putters out there and and you know when you look at look at his ability to roll his rock I, I always find it funny I'm I was sitting around watching that yesterday when it ended and uh, how many times they said he'd one putted now Cameron Smith has been doing this for a while it's not like he has gotten that fast uh tournament and putted real good and then didn't put good he's putted really good I think there's I think there's great putters like Nicholas uh Tiger Woods of course Billy Casper, Ben Crenshaw, those guys are great putters. Putting, now this is going to kind of sound crude, guys, but it's if you're a good putter or a great putter, well, putting's kind of like getting a hemorrhoid. Uh, <laughs> every once in a while you get one, and every once in a while you're a great putter. But the guys that do it day in and day out are great putters. The guys that have flashes of brilliance, is, like I said, it's kind of like getting a hemorrhoid. I mean, they... They show it, and then they don't show it. And, and so when you're really a great putter, which he's showing signs that he might be a great putter, that will carry him for years. It did Ben Crenshaw, because Ben Crenshaw was not a great ball striker, guys. I, I was privy to watch him play golf a number of times. And most of the time, I felt like I should have beat him. But when we were done, funny thing happened. He was four or five shots better than me. And – it's because he was a great putter. Another guy like that, believe it or not, that you might not remember the name much, is Lauren Roberts. Absolutely. Lauren Roberts is one of the worst ball strikers. He was a horrible ball striker. It would embarrass me when I'd play with him until we got finished and he'd beat me. <laughs> like, I don't get that. <laughs> the boss of the boss, simple. right, Woody? That's right. That's exactly right. He was a great putter. Uh, and there's our, there are great putters. And they're really good putters. Anybody that will state the main that I've heard this said more than once, oh, that guy's not a very good putter. Well, he's one of the best 125 guys in the world, which is what that is on the PGA Tour. Let me tell you something. There's no bad putters on the PGA Tour. There's really good putters, and there's great putters. And that's that's what you're starting to see with this Cameron Smith is – He's showing signs to me that he is a great putter. What did he shoot at the tournament, uh, tournament championship? 34 under? Wasn't that what he shot? Yeah, well, yeah PJ Tour record. Yep, 34 yeah. under. 34 under, you think you make a putter thing? <laughs> yep, absolutely. Got to go out on a limb there, guys. I'm going way out on a limb. But if I'm 34 under, I've rat holed a putter too. And, and that boy can do it. So. You're right, KT. It would have been neat to see if he got in a good line, if he could have knocked the ball in the green and made an eagle. Uh, you know, ifs and buts were candies and nuts, we'd all have a Merry Christmas. You know what? <laughs> it, 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 it's what it was. And and at that week on that tournament, uh, the golf god said, this is Cameron Smith's, and they gave it to him. So, Woody, does he yeah, win a major I, in the next couple of years, Cam Smith? As good as he putts and as 
aggressive as he is. I, I mean, just absolutely fearless. You know, take that driver out and just type it over there in the right trees. But anybody in their right mind should hit three wood there. I mean, that's what I would have hit. Get it in the fairway, get it up around the green, make me a par and get the heck out of there. Uh, no, he takes that driver and then he gets aggressive on the punch out, knocks it in the water. And you're going, holy crap, what is he doing? And then he hits a wedge in there 18 inches. And, uh, hey, ho, hum, bogey, thank you. Give me my one $3.6 million. And it never looked like it phased him. So, yes, Sam, I think he is a major champion in the future. Yes, I do. And, you know, you make a good point there, Woody, with how cool, calm, and collected he was, especially with that slapstick. And he's getting up there in that, in that group of, like, Crenshaw and Roberts, where it's just like you just want to watch them putt all day. Like, Without a doubt. So, we're so beautiful, and they do it in different ways, too. You know, those two older guys are a little bit more long and rhythmic, while Cam's yeah. a little bit shorter. But, uh, you know, still beautiful to watch. Now, Woody, we, we kind of highlighted your Hall of Fame induction uh, for the South Central when you uh, first joined us. But through the grapevine, I heard from some uh, people that were in attendance that you told um, one hell of a story, one that uh, involved a hot tub full of uh, members. Do you uh, mind kind of diving a little bit deeper into that for <laughs> Oh, my gosh. I can't believe I told that story. But the only reason why I told that story is when I was interviewed for that job that I was going to get my first club pro job, and it was at Oak Tree Country Club, which at the time was the best facility ever with Landmark and uh, – uh, they made it real clear to me that you don't cheat, you don't lie, you don't steal, and you don't fraternize with the members. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, it just seems like it was almost destiny that seven months after I get the job, I'm invited to a little get-together at people's house. And, uh, honestly, guys, I didn't know this was coming, and uh, I'm still proud of myself for turning and walking around and leaving, but... If you think I didn't have moments where I thought, boy, that would have been fun, um, you're wrong. But it was the right thing to do at that time, and uh, it kind of set my course as far as golf goes, that uh, I was going to take the high road everywhere I could. And there'll be people tell you that I took a low road, and I don't know why they tell you that because I never tried to. I, I, I always tried to do the right thing, and the right thing at that time was not to get naked and get in that hot tub. It was not the right thing, and I turned around and walked out. <laughs> Never get naked and get in the hot tub, Woody. Woody, thank no, you. It's, it, <laughs> what, what's that? Go ahead. Well, I, I would do it with my wife, but I'm not going to do it with a bunch of members. No, I, I'm not going to pull that trigger. I, I You know, and to be honest with you guys, even though I was 23 years old, I'm not sure I could have handled seven of them. I'm not that big a man. <laughs> we got to end it right <laughs> that, there. That is some good, uh, good temptations. And, you know, from the story, I heard that you had uh, you had a little angel demon on your shoulder type of epiphany going on, something along those lines. I, I did. I had, uh, well, well, the cartoon will show an angel and a devil. No, I had Chris Cole and I had Steve Braley, and they were both on one on one shoulder and the other and on the other shoulder and said, what do you need to get out of there now? And uh, <laughs> I did. I got out of there. <laughs> now, that was the, the only thing that was tough about that is in the following few, I was there for about three years at Oak Tree. Uh, I saw those ladies again on numerous times. And I, I just I always had to look at them a little different than I'd ever looked at them before. <laughs> and I always looked at their husbands, too, in a different way. So it had... Um, 
Let's just say I was glad I got my head pro job at Wood Ranch and Simi Valley as quick as I did because I wouldn't have wanted to have been there any more years than I was <laughs> to, to see those people. <laughs> Woody, you are the absolute man. We will talk to you again on Masters Week coming up soon. About to be yeah. big-time golf time in the state of Oklahoma. So, Woody, thank you so much for talking to little players with us today. Yeah, you know it's spring because I've been out spraying weeds. So, guess what? It's coming, boys. Gus is right around the corner, and I look forward to chit-chatting with you boys again. All right, Woody. Have thank a great you, Woody. day. You're the man. See you, guys. And that was our man, Jim Woodward. What an absolute legend Woody is, telling us all the secrets from back in the day and giving us some great insight on the Players' Championship. You will hear Woody throughout the year on with us. He's one of our favorite, favorite guests of the year. Okay, now we have another guest, I guess, coming in. It's Colby Powell. Colby, how is your first day going at the Golf Channel? Uh, it's great, man. Yesterday was my first day, the final day of the players, and it was just kind of hectic trying to be as much help as I could and stay out of the way because I don't really know how to do much yet. And then just getting a couple things going today, so it's been good. It's been a good start. So tell the people what you're doing for the Golf Channel, Colby. Yeah, so I uh, got hired on as an editor, so I'm working with GolfChannel.com on the website, just posting some blogs, stuff like that. Like just now I got something up uh, for an official world golf ranking update for the week just throwing a couple things in there big jump from Lahiri also fun fact Brooks Kepka outside the top 20 in the OWGR for the first time since winning his first major the 2017 US Open at Aaron Hill so uh doing stuff like that editing keeping up with the homepage, just working for golfchannel.com making sure that when everybody heads over there the website looks nice and pretty that is awesome and and I don't know if we'll mention Brooks Kepka's name again in the show. Uh, so I do want to bring this up. He had Ethan from Oklahoma City Golf and Country Club who had been battling cancer throughout the year. You know, I, I had talked to his family a little bit and he was having a rough go of it. A, a great junior player. Uh, and Brooks Kepka had him inside the ropes at the players this week. That was a really cool story to see. Um, but anyways, T-Dub, where do you want to start with Colby now that we, uh, we're recapping the players a little bit? Um, is there anything else that you would really like to dive into about this week at the players? Yeah, that's, uh, I want to get Colby's take on, um, and your take too as well, Sam, on, on just kind of what I think was the highlight of this tournament, unfortunately. It's, uh, uh, let me rephrase that. I think obviously the highlight was how the weather went on Saturday and how much uh, really the tee time shift uh, makes it out. I, I don't think we mentioned this in the first part, but uh, I believe of everyone that made the cut, I think 44 or 45 are from the early late wave and then um, 27 or whatever, 26, were from the late, early wave. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but Cam Smith was in the early, late window as well. So yes. he became the 13th winner out of the last 15 times this tournament is hosted to be in the early, late wave. That That's pretty insane. But that's not necessarily the point that I want to get to here. My point is is that, you know, we, we mentioned what happened with Casey on 16 with his ball being in someone else's plug life. We have the Daniel Berger drop situation where we're relying on players to dictate where a, a player hits the shot from when we got a $20 million purse on the line. We have uh, Keegan Bradley, who got penalized two strokes, I believe is in the second round, because he, uh, he, he put his coin down on the ball when the wind blew, and he did not already pick the ball up. And um, so the, the ball moved away, and he's penalized two strokes because he thought it was a new rule that because he already had his mark down. That it went. So it's a similar thing to what happened to Charlie Hoffman a few weeks ago. 
And, you know, I, I just look at all this stuff, guys, and I think, man, there if there ever needed to be an overhaul in the rules of golf, it is now. And I'm not talking just a little overhaul like we got in 2019. I'm talking like ground-changing. We need to almost reinvent the wheel on this aspect because there are too many things that are up to the chance that shouldn't be up to player interpretation that just could easily be fixed. Um, the burger drop thing's a little iffy. I think that has a lot more to do with the course design and the way the water's shaped. But, you know, guys, just kind of deep dive into that. What do you think uh, on my take there? And I can dive a little bit more on things I think should, should change. But y'all think I'm on to something here, or am I just uh, kind of just uh, yelling at the wind? No, the Keegan ruling specifically, I think, is, is kind of a big story. Uh, it's probably not getting talked about enough. It was Oh my gosh, I was going to say Friday, but then I don't even know what happened Friday. It was What even day yeah. is today? It feels like the most Monday, Tuesday of all time. Yeah, and, I don't and, know. Then, we, and then we sprung forward, guys. I am so messed up, it's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, we're all messed up. So, but Keegan Bradley, essentially, his ball was on the green. He put his mark behind it, but he left the ball on the green. And then when the ball blew away, he put it back where his mark was. Because the rule change at the beginning of 2019 was meant to simplify what we were doing with the rules of golf. Well, it didn't simplify things a whole hell of a lot because Keegan Bradley then had to take a two-stroke penalty, ended up shooting 71 instead of 69 in those tough conditions. I believe it was actually on Saturday whenever he did that uh, because his ball was blowing away, so it would have made sense. It was on Saturday when, when the wind got up there really high. But he, he ended up having to take a two-shot penalty, and that's huge late down the stretch of that tournament, it's just, it's like they're so complicated and convoluted. And, and to me, there's no wiggle room. That's what, and, and I don't know the exact way that you would do it, but just some way that there's some wiggle room for common sense in the rules where Keegan Bradley does something like that. I mean, that's not compromising the integrity of the tournament. He's playing it from where it lied. You know, Paul Casey winding up in somebody's old divot. I just, Am I crazy, Sam, to think that we could just put something in the rule book that says defer to common sense in situations of uncertainty? Is, is that crazy? No, you're not crazy at all. And we just talked to Woody about that a little bit. And he was saying, you know, that's kind of how the luck of the draw goes. You know, respectfully to Woody, I totally disagree. I think that, you know, if you're in your own pitch mark, and then if you're in someone else's pitch mark, it should be the same ruling. I mean, why? Why? It makes no sense to me. I am in the book where if you had a perfect drive in the middle of the fairway, you shouldn't have to play out of a real divot, much less a pitch mark where your ball's literally embedded. I think that there's so many dumb rules in the game of golf. And not to mention, Colby, I want to get your take on the whole Victor Hovland, Joel Damon, and Daniel Berger situation because at the start, Part of that situation, to me, I, I I thought that Daniel Berger was maybe trying to get a better drop than he deserved. But the more that I look at it, Colby, I don't think any of them thought that. I think that all three of them thought that they believed that they were doing the right thing. And to me, it's just so confusing. You know, these players don't even know. And if you don't have any instant replay, you can't be certain that you're making the correct drop. And to me, I felt like Daniel Berger got a little bit of a bad rap. Maybe, you know, it seemed like when it's two-on-one, oh, the other guy's obviously trying to cheat the system a little bit. In this situation, I think that Daniel Berger might have been absolutely right on where he thought he should have dropped. And so what are your, what are your takes on that? 
Yeah, I think that, you know, as I was watching it, and once it blew up on Twitter, I rewinded it. I had the uh, ESPN Plus up on the computer, and I rewinded it, and they were all so adamant. I mean, Berger was so adamant that it crossed further up, and Damon and Hovland were both so adamant that it didn't. And then we get to see it on replay, and, and you see the overhead, and you kind of see the shot tracer, and I'm looking at it. I mean, hell, guys, I don't know where it crossed. I mean, we can't tell anything from the pictures and the videos because we're talking about a difference in probably 70-ish yards or so in, in where Berger was going to drop and where he ended up dropping. He ended up taking Hovland and uh, Damon's drop. But honestly, I thought Victor Hovland was so, like, almost stereotypically Victor Hovland with how nice he was about it. <laughs> right. He, he was just – it's almost like he was just wanting to apologize for even bringing it up, but he was so nice about it. Damon was clearly frustrated, but he was in the background not talking nearly as much. And then I think Daniel Berger got really defensive because he felt like he was getting put on blast for a bad drop that he didn't think was a bad drop. And then we see all the replays, and it's like, I don't know if it was a bad drop or not. Uh, I mean, I guess if Berger felt really strongly enough and wanted to make it probably even a bigger deal, he could have just said, to hell with you guys, I'm going to drop where I thought it crossed. But he ended up going with both of his playing partners, which I think was the right decision because that keeps people – off your back from saying that you were trying to gain an unfair advantage or anything like that. So I don't think it ended up having a huge impact. You know, he hit it to 10 feet from where Hovland and, and Damon ended up having him drop. But I, I mean, I watched it so many times and I mean, T-Dub, I don't know about you. I can't tell where that ball crossed. No, it's, you have the shot tracer and even then it's hard. And, you know, I made this, I've made this point to, to you guys and, and to my, some of my college group texts that any, almost any Pete die course, it, it's part of his design of the course is to have the water be visually intimidating. And what happens is that you have a lot of ins and outs. It's almost kind of like a snake pattern. And when you have that happen, especially with the way 16 goes, where it, it loops around um, to the right there, and that's where the green kind of goes on to the peninsula, especially with that right flag. It, it, if you hit a cut on that, it's virtually impossible to figure out where it goes in it. Because, you know, if you hit a straight shot, it's pretty clear. And, you know, I, I think, you know, Sam, I, I want to ask your opinion on this because, you know, you've played a lot of uh, high-level golf as well. But any time, I can't think – very rarely, I can even hardly remember any time where you play in a threesome and two of your playing partners are just so adamantly against the ruling that you want to make. It's usually when that happens, you're in the wrong or something's going off skew or there's just some big miscommunication. And I, I think that's a sign of knowing that, you know, there's something iffy going on here. And it's I can't remember hardly any situations like that. Have you experienced anything like that? And, I mean, it's just usually when you see something like that, it's it's usually that the player is doing something wrong, especially when the other two playing partners disagree with what's happening. I mean, yes, I've had situations like that, but where this one differs to me is that Daniel Berger was saying, go check the tape. You know what I mean? He's saying, go check the tape. I don't care if you guys go look at it because I'm going to be right in Daniel Berger's case. And so I feel like, you know, it, it's not just, you know, a group of, you know, your weekend golfers out there saying, no, it crossed here, no, it crossed there. I think that all three of them believed that they were in the right. And so I, I think it was just an unfortunate situation. And to be honest, I, I, I know a lot of people that would have handled it a lot worse, right, Colby, than Daniel Berger did. Yeah, I mean, Berger really kept his composure pretty well. I mean, he, he was frustrated, and I understand. He thought it crossed higher up. And it's one of those things where I think he felt like his integrity was being questioned, and I think that's what he was more defensive about was 
the, the question of his integrity. You know, he even went out of his way to say, I've never taken a bad drop in my life. Uh, he wanted to make sure that those guys knew and that everybody listening with all the cameras and microphones knew, like, I'm not trying to gain an unfair advantage here. So I think that's what bothered him more so. Uh, but for the most part, he kept a cool head and, and told his side of the story. They told their side. The rules official told it, came in and said, look, y'all have to figure it out. And finally, Berger agreed to drop further back, which, again, I think was the right call. But, I mean, there's nothing that will get somebody defensive quicker than a question about their integrity. I totally agree, Colby. And, um, you know, backing off of the rules debates real quick, I want to get your guys' thoughts on I, – I asked uh, Woody this, but I want to get your guys' you know, deep-dive thoughts into the Brandel Chambly-Paul McGinley debate on whether the course was unplayable when the wind got so high, specifically 17 and 18. Uh, we'll start with T-Dub on that. So, you know, I, I think that one of the things that, that Chambly got wrong in all this is so he came out with his initial response when the first, what, two groups or whatever went through 17 on, on Saturday. And uh, what one of them hit the green or whatever, five, four or five of them were in the water. Best players yes. in the world, uh, Shoffley, uh, Keska, uh, Scheffler, and a couple of those guys. Rory, players. And, Rory and JT were the first to hit the green. Yes, yeah, yeah. That, that was right around when the, the marquee groups were going through there. And, you know, so what happened was was that Chambly, I think throughout throughout after about thirty minutes, he probably realized that his tweet was very idiotic and thought that, yeah, I mean, they should have been playing. They played in a lot worse than that. I mean, come on, guys. I mean, they, they should have been out there. It was it was a very very rough draw for the guys that had the uh, late early wave. There's no denying now, that. Now, um, T-Dub, let it, me let me interject real quick. Our man Taylor Gooch did tweet out and said that he's played in a lot of bad conditions on a lot of tough golf courses even qualifying at Karsten Creek in high winds and low temperatures. He said that 17 and 18 at Sawgrass this week was the toughest two-hole stretch of his career. Yes, I, I, and, and there's no denying that they were playing extremely hard. I mean, and, you know, make a good point, what he did and also in the broadcast, when you have the uh, the kind of stadium feel around, around the 17th green, it makes that wind swirl even more. So then it is up to a little bit of chance on, on what you hit, but at the same time, that's all wind, right? It's just almost just like a little bit of a multiplier aspect. It's not the difference in making it gross or not. And the reason that I think it's evidence to show that it was playable is you had uh, Bubba Watson and JT go bogey-free. And it's like if the course was unplayable, that you cannot go 18 holes without a bogey on an unfair golf course. So I think that it was definitely doable. And I think that what happened was, was that with Chambly and the McGinley debate was Chambly went off of his initial take of the uh, – and he didn't really t- say that he was wrong. He just started talking about how 17 was a badly designed hole. And, you know, in all honesty, I, I agree with him in a lot of aspects. I don't agree with the aspect of talking about how you could add 10 yards in front of the green and 10 yards behind the green like they do at the 15th at Waste Management. I thought that was the worst take I've heard in some time. But I do think that McGinley was right on that aspect of – yeah, they played in so much worse. They should have kept playing. I, I think that even as tough as it was, being late early just makes it so much worse. Should have been out there, though. But I, I think that Chambly and his arguments there, guys, were just a little bit all over the place. Didn't really have any concrete stuff to go on. And I do think there are ways that you could probably make 17 a little bit better hold. But but I don't know, Colby. I don't think it was at the point to where it was so unfair that you don't play the tournament. Yeah, I mean, I saw uh, Golf Channel threw up a great graphic of 
guys who flighted the ball and how much more successful they were hitting the green. It was like if you had over 100 feet apex on Saturday, 28% of shots that had over 100 foot apex hit the green. Whereas if you had a shot with an apex of like sub 60 feet, it was 75% of players hit the green. So it's just a matter of some guys were still trying to take it up high in a 25 mile an hour wind. Look, I know that that holds a little bit different because it is an island green. There's water all the way around it. But golf is an outdoor sport. Sometimes you are at the mercy of the element. And can that randomize a, a golf tournament a little bit? Sure it can. But I've played in those tournaments. I know both of you have played in those tournaments where sometimes you're just out there and you're playing in a crazy wind and there's some other guys who might have teed off that morning and they've already finished their round. And it's frustrating whenever you get the bad end of the draw. But sometimes you're on the good end of the draw. I mean, Louis Ustazen has one win in his PGA Tour career, and it was in an open championship where half the field was eliminated by the wind draw, by the weather draw. It, it's part of golf. It happens. You just kind of have to deal with it and do the best you can and flight your shot. I mean, Saturday was not a track man day. Saturday was a feel day. And Kevin Kisner had the feel for a while. Bubba had the feel. JT, Doug in. These were guys that were playing feel golf. The guys that were trying to hit their track man numbers, those are the guys who got destroyed by the wind really badly on Saturday, specifically on 17th. I totally agree with you, Colby. Uh, yeah, and to mention JT, I mean, he flighted that nice little seven iron, and then I think he even hit a six iron on Saturday. Just the nice little arm swing, you know, flighted it down. I totally agree with what you're talking about about that. I was arguing with some moron on Twitter about what flighting a shot means, by the way. If you want a good giggle, you can go look at that. Uh, oh. Yeah, Paul? yeah, Paul. Oh. This guy named Paul on Twitter that doesn't know diddly diddly poo. Uh, anyways, I was on Paul's side. I was on Paul's side for the record. <laughs> yeah, you and Maves. Uh, so, by the way, of the guys that got the best and the worst uh, out of seventeen, Shane Lowry uh, made a hole in one, the first one we've seen since twenty nineteen in the third round. Uh, and then we, I think it was Pat and Kazire. We saw we saw almost a shank uh, into the tree in the middle of the water uh you know how, how cool would that have been uh to make a hole in one on 17 shane lowry makes one in the third round all right boys i i colby i haven't gotten your thoughts on cam smith and he's a guy that i've been on for a long time and i thought he was going to cruise to victory after 16 and especially after you know he gets semi-lucky on 17 and then 18 comes along, Colby, and I mentioned it earlier in the show, but it reminded me of Memphis when he's in the right trees and he ricochets one out of bounds. This time he hits it left, punches it into the water. What were your overall thoughts on Cam Smith? You know, is he the best putter in the world? Is he going to win a major this year or next year? And then tell me what your thoughts were on his finish on 18. Yeah, I mean, right now he is the best putter in the world. He's the guy you trust most standing over an eight-footer that you just really have to have. The second shot on 18, I mean, look, there's nothing wrong with spraying driver over there. There really isn't. You spray driver over there, you chip one out in the fairway, you've got 90, 100 yards in for your third, you hit that 20 feet right of the pin, you two-putt, you go to the house. You, you make your life easy. Now, he ends up making five, but he made it hard on himself. I, he talked about it afterwards, you know, in his post-round press conference. He's like, ah, I just didn't think it was going to come out that hot. I mean, you just don't even take that chance. You, you take the water 100% out of play, so – I couldn't believe that happened, but then it was a great uh, up and down from the fairway from 50-something yards. But, guys, I am so mad at myself. 
I ended up using Rom and Sergio and the one and done. The reason I did that was because I checked the weather in Ponte Vedra at about 11 o'clock last Wednesday night. And I decided that the early wave was at least going to get one good round in. So I wanted to have two guys from the early wave. I didn't know it was going to go totally crazy like it did. But I thought, you know, I'll, I'll run two guys out from the early wave because I know they'll get one good round in. But I didn't want to use two big names. I only wanted to use one big name. So I figured, well, if Rom ends up getting the wave advantage, this would be a good time to run out the number one player in the world. He'll have a good chance to win. He makes a nine. Highest score of his PGA Tour career on Sunday. And then Sergio made the cut and got some money, which is what I planned on him doing. But ending up with John Rahm whenever I could have had Cam Smith in that same early wave, that one stings a little bit. Colby, you know, I should have picked Cam Smith, and, and I ended up going with Rory and JT. You know the other guy I should have picked along with Cam Smith this week? We're going to find our best friend, Doug, and then we're going to give him a best friend hug. Doug is back. Doug is back. Doug. Doug is back, boys. Is Doug back or is Doug just a really good player for three de- three rounds, pardon me, at DPC Sawgrass? <laughs> T-Dub? I mean, he, he, he had a chance, boys. They only shot even on, on Sunday and still finished sixth. So, I mean, if he could have made just a couple more birdies, maybe if we if we were able to get him a, a cozy tiger bed or something, we might have been able to get up there with Cam Smith. But I do think Doug is a little bit streaky. And, uh, you know, it seemed like when Sam was on him last year, he was on just a, a mega, mega heater. And, uh, you know, honestly, I want him to get back to that point because I just love hearing the song. It, it makes my day so much better every single time. All right, boys. Uh, is there anything else with the players that you want to get to? I mean, um, obviously, it was just a crazy tournament. The last two weeks, I mean, Bay Hill and then the players have been almost U.S. Open-like uh, with their conditions, and and I just can't wait for the rest of this year. Um, but to me, I think that, you know, so far, player of the year, Cam Smith? Uh, Cam yes. Smith. The, the weird thing to me, and I noticed this, uh, I don't know, this morning I was reading through something and it kind of hit me. You know, a lot of PGA Tour seasons, you'll have guys win once and you'll have a lot of single-time winners. We are mid-March. We've already got three multiple-time tour winners this season. Hideki's won twice on tour this season. So has Scotty Scheffler, and so has Cam Smith. It's, I mean, those three guys really are all going to make a run for it. I mean, we've still got all four majors to play, all the WGCs, playoffs. I mean, there's so much going, but right now you'd probably say it's Cam Smith because he's got the biggest win out of any of those, and he's got the PGA Tour scoring record. So right now I would go Cam Smith. But I don't know, Taylor, is it, is it just me, or does it kind of seem weird to already have three multiple-time tour winners and we're sitting here in mid-March? Yeah, and it's, uh, you know, it's interesting from the fact of, you know, like we mentioned, Cam Smith, he's won the, the Tournament of Champions and the players, two extremely big events. It's not like he just won, you know, a one-off event here or there. And then another big one, two big ones there. And so we didn't didn't really expect Cam Smith to be, you know, like we mentioned, Sam's been on him forever. But (laughs) everyone in the world besides Sam did not expect Cam Smith to be the sixth-ranked player in the world after this tournament. But, you know, when you think about it, guys, you would have thought that it would have been, you know, a a Rom that would have won twice or a – you know, a a Chef – or a Chef was one twice. Sorry, that was absolutely the last. I meant Shockley. Um, or, you know, like even like a Bryson, but he's been hurt. So, or Spieth even. So I think that it's not even only the fact that we've had mo- those multiple winners, but it's the fact that it's not really 
who a lot of us would have thought before the season that would have been those multiple-time winners, guys. Hey, I hope I'm not jumping the gun here, but I'm going to do it right now. I'm telling you, and I can't, I'm not changing it unless he gets hurt. I'm picking Cam Smith this year at Augusta. I've been saving him in the one and done for the same thing, Sam. I, I, I hope he wins. I'm still going to go with my JT pick to win um, just because I want to stick to my guns, but I really hope he does. I'm saving him. And so we mentioned it before, I know it's in November, but when you're the only player to have all six rounds in the 60s at Augusta, you are a straight baller, almost as baller as getting the direct deposit of $3.6 million. Yeah, I don't know. It's hard to win the players and win the Masters. Not a lot of guys have done it in the same year. Obviously, I mean, Cam's going to be one of the favorites going into Augusta. But at this point, like in our one-and-done pool, so much money's given out for the for the FedEx Cup for the Tour Championship. I'm like, Cam Smith's got a good chance to be one, two, or three going into Eastlake, so... I might have to refrain and have the discipline to save him all the way until the end of the season. Boy, that's a long time to sit on Cam Smith, but I might have to. That's do a it. good point. That's a good point, Colby. Man, I I want to. I'll pick him to win at Augusta, but I might not be able to because that's a really good point about saving him uh, for the bankroll he's going to make at Eastlake. Uh, boys, other news in the golf world: uh, OSU's Rasmus Nearguard got a victory this past week. What were your thoughts on that, Colby? Uh, my thoughts on that were that he set the course record, which, I mean, good stuff. I mean, Eugenio Chikara earlier this season, and now Rasmus Nierguard. You know, we were down in Norman last week with the OU golf team. Those guys uh, are the best team in the country, but Oklahoma State's right on their heels. And I really hope we're headed toward a Bedlam National Championship because both of these teams are just loaded and deep with guys who can win golf tournaments and who can go really, really low. So I just can't wait to watch all these guys at Greyhawk later in the year, T-Dub. Oh, I mean, it's going to be so exciting. You know, guys, I, I didn't get to say this at the start of the show, but y'all did a hell of a job last week with those boys uh, down in Norman. And, uh, you know, thank God for those. They gave us our time and said so, such great candid answers. So that was really awesome stuff, guys. And, uh, yeah, I, I think that we are heading towards a, um, a bedlam sort of. I don't know if it'll be in the, the championship just because of the way match play could work out when you go, um, you know, win a bracket style. So maybe a semifinals. Hopefully it's just not the first round. That would be kind of a little deflating in my opinion. So hopefully it's at least the semifinals, if not the finals. The hump man texted me last night and said that they were in the Phoenix airport last night uh, and saw the Texas golf team. And the Texas team told them that, you know, they obviously, since they changed the rule that they can go play a practice round at Greyhawk during the same year that the national championship is there, that a lot of teams will be out at Greyhawk this week practicing because Arizona has their tournament in Tucson, uh, the OU and OSU and Texas and a lot of big time teams teams will be down there for that one so keep your eye on the Arizona tournament this week uh, the other big news uh, scary news in the golf world this week was Nellie Corda uh, found out that uh, she had a blood clot uh, and had to go to the hospital this week uh, kind of scary stuff there huh T-Dub oh I mean yeah there's no doubt about it all you can do is uh, you know pray for and hopefully uh, things go well there and they uh, you know, it's so sad to see someone so young dealing with something like that. You know, it's weird to see a, uh, you know, who knows why it happened, but, you know, to be a young athletic person and get a get a blood clot really, really severe. I know my uh, my grandpa, God rest his soul, had uh, had blood clots in his legs, and that was a really scary situation because, you know, you, you talk about amputation on certain aspects. So hopefully it's not near that bad um, for Nelly, and just uh, hopefully she's able to get locally. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead, Colby. We're huge fans, so. Hope she gets well soon. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for all of our listeners, go to grooveitbrush.com right now and enter the promo code 73rd hole and get 10% off your Groove It brush. I know a bunch of guys would have needed a Groove It brush this week out at TPC Sawgrass. It's one of the best brushes I've ever seen. Probably the best brush that I've ever seen. So get your 10% off on a Groove It brush right now at grooveitbrush.com. They're Oklahoma-based company, so support your local golf company. And then, obviously, get your teeth done. Colby, go ahead and do the live read. I don't have it in front of me, and you're better at it. Ring family dentistry, they take care of you in every way possible. Leading edge of technology, delivering same-day crowns for more than 20 years. Clear aligner orthodontics, they do it all. Ring family dentistry, give them a call. Ring family dentistry, they go out of their way to ensure all treatment is as comfortable as possible, and they let the patient make the decisions. They will explain their opinion and let you decide what is best for you. So hit them up, ring family dentistry. Colby's a pro. Colby's an absolute pro. That's beautiful. So, boys, boys, we have a treat for our listeners coming up later in the week, but we can't talk about it yet, but it will release next week. And all I got to say is we have big, big news coming out next Monday. So stay tuned on the podcast and on our social media platforms on Twitter and Instagram. We will be announcing some huge news next week, and we will have some great content for sure coming out of that. Uh, But because of that, we will have to do our uh, preview for this week. So, boys, I mean, have you created your DraftKings lineups yet? Uh, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm good. Roger, All right. Well, y'all are good. Uh, I am, I have not created my DraftKings lineup for the Valspar championship yet. Uh, so I will do it as we go along. Um, but the data golf favorite this week is Justin Thomas and Victor Hovland, uh, Colin Morikawa also in the field. I know a lot of people on the betting side are looking towards Sam Burns this week. Uh, what are your guys overall thoughts about the favorites this week at the Valspar? Yeah, I mean, it's actually yeah. a pretty decent field. They, sorry, you know, they lost a couple of guys. You kind of expected that after the Monday finish at Sawgrass. Neiman is out. Two-time winner Paul Casey is out. But, I mean, a lot of the big names are still going. Morikawa, Hovland, Xander, JT, DJ, Kepka. So, I mean, Taylor, for the Valspar, that's really good high-level names at the top of the field. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you got to say, yeah, JT and uh, Hobby Morikawa, the chocolate uh, in there. You know, one thing to note as well, you know, you got people like um, – like, obviously, more Cowan Shockway didn't have to play going from Monday, so they got a little bit more rest compared to uh, some of these other guys. For example, you know, JP was obviously out there battling DJ with a 63 yesterday holdout on um, on number nine for how many ever uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars. So that was really good. You know, someone like Louie, Louie really likes this golf course. I look at him. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of expect this, guys. You look at kind of the, the mid, not, not necessarily mid tier, but just below the top tier. You know, you got. You know, Sam Burns, like you mentioned, you've got uh, Abe Answer, you've got uh, Matthew Fitzpatrick. I, I think I wouldn't be surprised, Sam, to see one of these younger guys, someone uh, either around the age of 30 or, or younger, end up getting a win. And we've seen it a lot this year already, but I think that streak continues against him. Yeah, I, I do too. I, I kind of like that as well as, you know, a guy that not many people are talking about but is playing some great golf as of late is Harold Varner the third. I mean, Harold Varner the third has played some amazing golf as of late, um, and I think that this course kind of fits his game. Uh, who are some kind of dark horses that you're looking at, Colby? 
dark horses for this league? Well, why don't we just go ahead and start um, with a guy who I'm going to throw in my DraftKings lineup. He's going to be my cheapest option. Andrew Putnam has kind of played some sneaky good golf this year. Uh, his last couple of events aren't that great, but I'm not too worried about that. The players, he shot 69 in the first round. Hey, we're looking pretty good. 79 in round two. The players was very fluky. He had a top 10 finish at uh, Pebble just a couple of months ago. So I think this course could set up well for him. Also, Taylor, tell me what you think about this. Because I think you kind you might kind of like this. There's a guy by the name of Christian Bezadenhut, who we are all just waiting to find his way into a winner's circle. I think he could be set up for a good week at the Valspar. What says our sea bezel expert, C-Dub? You know, Kobe, uh, you know, you got to ride him until he lets you down, and he's <laughs> let me down too many times this year. He's just done it, and I, I, he's never, he hasn't played here. I don't have any experience. You know, if he would have played here, I'd expect to see a made cut probably around the 25th to 30 range. Um, I, I would love to see him win, and, you know, I, I will say this. I, I, I got to stay off of him because, I, like, like I just said, I rode him, and then he let me down. So I have to make sure that I can't get back on the bandwagon until I'm absolutely feeling it. I'm not feeling it this week. I, I think we'll see about a middle-of-the-pack finish again. I think he will make the cut. But, you know, for someone who's been on him all year, I, it, it, uh, Sam to Cam Smith is basically me to C. Bezel. So hopefully C. Bezel is going to be able to turn <laughs> that around. But I, I, I don't think so, Colby. I, I don't think this is the week. All right, we'll see. I hope you're wrong because I'm going to have a little bit of C. Bezel uh, exposure this week. Well, you know, you, you already live with, uh, with uh, so do you have both of them in your draft? Yes, yes, I do. Okay, so I'll go ahead. I'll go ahead and start with mine here. I've got two really cheap guys here that I think both are going to make the cut. My cheapest option, um, sixty-five hundred Kramer Hitchcock. Um, in this tournament, he's made the cut both times. Um, hasn't finished there in forty-six, but you look at it, he was playing really well uh, last week and in the finish of forty-second. The shot sixty-seven in the first round and got the good end of the draw. So I, I, I like TikTok to make the cut at uh, 6,500. And then next best is a guy that Data Golf really likes this week. It's kind of a, an underdog play, a sleeper play. At 6,600, give me Troy Merritt. This guy, he's made his last two cuts. Um, he finished, I believe, sixth year last year in this event. Um, missed a lot of cuts in this course up until then. But for two, oh, sorry, it was eighth last year. So um, I like a little bit what I'm seeing there. So I don't know, Sam. I got two guys cheaper than 6,600, I think, and make the cut. I won't be able to load my lineup pretty top heavy. I have two guys without pictures uh, that I think will make the cut this week, T-Dub. My cheapest pick is Hayden Buckley, a guy that played his college golf at Missouri. He's 6,500 on DraftKings right now. So far this year, he has two top 10s, seven of 13 cuts made, but I feel like at the Valspar, I feel like he could kind of have a breaking out week, and I think that as long as Hayden Buckley is at 6,500, I'm going to keep putting him in my DraftKings lineup, and I feel like he's not going to let me down. Uh, And then at 7,000, I like a guy like Taylor Moore. Uh, If you remember, we we saw Taylor Gooch in the past play well at the Valspar, and I think that a guy like Taylor Moore can play well at the Valspar too. One top 10 on the year, 7 to 12 cuts made. I know it doesn't look amazing on paper, but Taylor Moore is going to break through eventually, and I think that this week might be the week for a couple young guys to kind of break through, even, even with the strength of field higher than normal. Colby? Yeah, I like that. So, C-Bezel was not uh, my second cheapest. My second cheapest was actually Denny McCarthy. Denny McCarthy last week at the Players. Good round one, round two. Uh, he got caught up in the wind at that 76. So, you know, it was just an okay week for Denny McCarthy at the Players. He did make the cut. Uh, shot 73-72 on the weekend. But he's a great, pl- great 
putter, so I'm hoping he gets hot with the putter this week. Do you know who you got next? Um, well, Kobe, so I pick. Um, in the last, I believe it's 12 events, <laughs> Denny McCarthy's only missed one cut, 7,400 uh, price, like you mentioned. And in his two events here, guys, he's finished ninth and 39th here. And so when you got a player like Denny McCarthy, it's all about if he likes the greens. And it's clear that he likes this place and is playing good. So I, I think that a good underrated value play would be a Denny McCarthy top 10. I, that wouldn't surprise me one bit at all. Well, that means that I'm going to jump all the way up from 7,000 to 7,100. I can't believe this guy is this cheap this week, especially because he's played really good so far this year. He's having his best putting year in the history of him being on the PGA Tour and best driving year for that matter. Joel Damon, uh, he was in the news a little bit like we talked about earlier, but he played well at Pebble Beach and he played well this past week at the Players. Uh, So Joel Damon... Two top 10s, 10 of 12 cuts made. I feel like Joel Damon at 7,100 is a really good play value-wise. And then my second, uh, let's see, I'm going up to, oh, all the way up to 8,600. That's my guy Harold Varner that I was just talking about a second ago. I feel like he is on a heater right now in 8,600. I, I think that's too low for Harold Varner right now, and he's played some solid golf not only in Saudi, but even you know in the past couple weeks at Bay Hill and at the Players. So 8,600 for Harold Varner the third uh, this week at the Valspar. Colby? Yeah, I like that. So I already gave you C. Basil. I'm using him at 7,900. My other pick at 7,900, a guy who really kind of made his way up the leaderboard and very sneakily got himself into the top 10 at the Players. I'm going to see if he can't keep that momentum rolling. That's Adam Hadwin. Adam Hadwin played some really good golf over the weekend at TPC. So uh, I like his chances to keep it rolling. Taylor, who you got? I am going with a guy that you were on a couple weeks ago, Colby, and I'm going to keep riding because he's been playing some good golf. That's Oklahoma State alum, Alex North. I mean, he's been playing some really good golf. 26 last week, fifth at the Honda, um, has made the cut his last uh, five events. Uh, I guess five events, not six, five events. And last year, guys, he did finish uh, 21st here. Um, so it's his only appearance here again, 1.15 strokes on the field. So I, I love uh, love Alex Norton, 8,700. So he's going with next man. I am going to go with my winner of the tournament, Sam Burns at 9,600. He's only had five rounds where he lost strokes on the field since the CJ Cup. He is playing as one of the most consistent players on the PGA Tour right now. And when I look at his strokes gained approach stats, T-Dub, gaining .72 on the field per round strokes gained approach, that is super solid, and I feel like he's going to win this golf tournament this week at the Valspar. And you, then, so you, you think he goes back You think he goes back to back, Sam? Defending champion going to do, do it. I, I do. I, I, I have no problem with him being the defending champion. I, I, I just think that not only is it good course history, but also, you know, the recent form. Obviously, Sam Burns is a solid pick this week. And especially, I mean, talk about best bets. You know, you can get him a lot cheaper than you would normally get a defending champion uh, because of the strength of field this week. Uh, and then my most expensive option is going to be Victor Hovland. I mean, his ball striking was just immaculate this week. I mean, he couldn't get it anywhere around the hole if he missed the green. But you know what? He hit a ton of greens this past week. And Victor Hovland is just, you know, the most consistent player on the PGA Tour. Seven top tens, 11 to 12 cuts made, 10,800 cheaper than a couple other guys ahead of him on the 
on DraftKings, so I'm going with Victor Hovland this week as my most expensive option on DraftKings. Victor Hovland has been absolutely lighting it up. I'm just, you know, he played Arnold Palmer two weeks ago, tough conditions. Played the players, tough conditions. I just worry he might be a little bit worn down, but, I mean, shoot, you might have thought he was worn down from the Arnold Palmer, and that certainly didn't show last week. My two most expensive options, I'm going to go with two big names in the game of golf who both missed the cut last week. So they'll be coming in fresh. They're playing. I uh, got the bad end of the draw and didn't make the cut. That's Brooks Kepka at 9,400. I mentioned when I first came on, he's outside the top 20 for the first time in five years since he won his first U.S. Open, his first major championship back in 2017. So I'm going to look at him to get things back on track after having a short week at TPC Sawgrass. And then my most expensive option, I feel like a lot of people are going to be off this guy because he struggled last week in those super tough conditions. I mean, those conditions were tough. You get a couple of balls up in the air. Things aren't going to go your way. Give me Colin Morikawa at 10,700, who I think has a great chance to win this week, Tyler. Yeah, yeah, you you wouldn't be surprised if Morikawa won. Um, Hasn't hasn't played this tournament yet, so it might be a a blessing in disguise because the uh, the snake pit can come back and bite the people. So when you go through that not – not having experienced any of that trauma, I think I think it could be a benefit. So Morikawa, I think, is a good pick. Um, I'm going to go my two most expensive. 9,800, he missed his cut in his only appearance here, but has just been playing so well lately. I do worry about the fatigue, like Kobe mentioned. But give me Terrell Hatt, 9,800. I mean, he finished 13th last week, players, second the week before at Arnold Palmer. Um, hasn't missed a cut going all the way back to the DP World uh, World Tour Championship last year. Uh, his worst finish in that stretch is 28. So I think he keeps that run going. I think, you know, we talked about it last year where he was top 10 in the world, kind of fell down the 22nd or 25th, whatever it was. I think that had maybe on his way back to getting close to that top 10-esque um, uh, feel. And then I'm going to go with the most expensive guy in the field. I, I think that he is as close to a surefire bet as you can get. I know that he had a little bit of fatigue. It's the same same instance, but didn't play Arnold Palmer. So I think that is a little bit of help. And that's JT, 11,000. I mean, and 14 rounds here, gained 1.27 on the field. Um, I think he was a little bit tired after how hard he had to grind in that in that second round on Saturday. So hopefully he's able to rest up on that. But I just think JT's playing so well right now, Sam, that if I'm at, like I was, I was able to get a little bit of value at the bottom. So I, I just feel bad if I don't put him in my life. Hey, I totally agree. I picked him last week in the one and done. Uh, and he didn't necessarily let me down, but he – you know, he played solid golf, but it was just kind of a letdown as far as I, I'm sure there were a bunch of people that had Cam Smith as, as their one-and-done pick last week. So let's get to it, boys. Who's your one-and-done pick, Colby? Yeah, I mean, Taylor kind of spoiled it. It's Terrell Hatton. He's playing good golf, and he kind of tends to peak around this time of the season and then starts to go downhill a little bit later in the year. Um, so I'm hoping that he can keep it rolling. I do worry a little bit about the fatigue playing Arnold Palmer and then players back-to-back, but those were his first two uh, events in the U.S. this year. So I'm hoping he can keep it rolling. And a guy who, on the high end, we know can win in a really good field. And I I got off to a good start to the season in the one-and-done. I've kind of fallen back to the middle of the pack. I need a win. So I didn't want to use one of the biggest guns at Valspar, but I didn't want to go down the list and take, like, Taylor, you mentioned Alex Noren I really like this week, but I don't think he's going to win the golf tournament. So – I'm going to run Tyrrell out and hope that he gets hot. Taylor, who you got? Yeah, I, I really like having. I think that's an option um, for sure, especially since, you know, he doesn't play an overabundance of PJ Tour events. You know, he's not like Sung Jay and going to play every week. So, you know, you kind of want to use him when you can. You, and it's hard to predict what, what majors he'll, 
he'll play good, and he might be a good pick at St. Andrews, but it's hard to hold on to him for that long. Um, I'm going to go with the 20th-ranked player in the world, guys. I'm a little concerned that I, I want to save him for a bigger event just because he's so rock steady, but I, I, I'm kind of in the same boat as Colby. I just feel like a win or a second or a third is going to be the only way to really make any ground up here, and because the purse this week isn't very big, but with strength of field being so strong, you got to run out big names. I'm running out of Abraham Answer, boys. I, I think he's going to have a really good week this week. Um, in eight rounds at this course, he finished, six, he finished 16th and 5th to two years, so that's eight rounds. Uh, 2.23 strokes gained on the field. The only two people um, in the field do have gained more than that in their time is, is Hovland. He finished third last year. And then Sam Burns, who's uh, three for three on Cup here and one last year. So I really like Abraham this week, and I think that he's a really good play if you don't want to try to run out of JT or a Morikawa in a purse that's not that big. I'm going Sam Burns this week. I got to make up some ground. I need a win, and I need him to do it again at the Valspar. If you haven't already, go to golfoklahoma.org and get all your recent golf news. You can see that the Rogers State men and women both lead at the Hillcat Classic at Bailey Ranch. Uh, the OC, your OC boys, are leading at Oak Tree. Uh, do you have an update on yes, that tournament, T Dub? Yes, yeah, let me pull that up real quick. I'll get on golf chat. While we're doing that, boys, I was going to do this before we got out of here, so this would be a good segue. Yeah, you've kind of been teasing it all show with the strength of field, Sam. Holy Sam, what do y'all think the strength of field is this week? Ooh, I'm going to go. Now, does this still have Paul Casey and Joaquin Neiman in it? Good question. Let me click on that real quick. Um, it's Florida loading right now because I'm wearing a little golf chat at the same time. So give me one second. So, um, I don't know. Do you want to do the two ball rule, Colby? Where you got two? Uh, no, we, I would imagine it does. Yeah. <laughs> They've only recently yeah, withdrawn. He is still in the field, yes. And uh, who's the other one who withdrew, Colby? Neiman. Uh, Neiman is in the field as well, yes. So yes, this is including uh, those two guys. So. so including those two, show me a nice round number of four hundred and nine. I'm going to go a little lower than that. Well, with them in the field, um, give me 369. Dude, there's no way Colby didn't cheat on this. 411. Oh! And he, I guess 409. There's no way you didn't look at it, bro. There's no way you could be that right. He's been I mean, looking at golfchannel.com all day. I promise I didn't look at it. Go to Golf Channel right now. Go to GolfChannel.com, and you will see nothing about strength of field. I have not looked no, at it. No, Colby, it's 2-1. to one. We win. you got to drop where we tell you to. I guess I'm dropping 97 yards from the hole. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, you know, I would think, guys, I think the strength of field will probably be closer to, what, three? I don't know. Colby, he's a magical expert. So what do you think the strength of field will be once we get these withdrawals in there? What, around 370 range, something like that? Oh, I wouldn't think Casey and Neiman would drop it that much. Cause, I mean, they're not top ten players in the world. Probably more like in the three thirty, though. Yeah, yeah, oh, top thirty. Yeah, probably three eighty-five, three ninety, somewhere in that range. Yeah. Uh, Casey's twenty-fourth and Neiman's eighteenth. So maybe I'd, I'd say probably that around the three eighty. So we do have an update here, boys. So it looks like we are concluded. Uh, the OCE will have won the Oak Tree Invitational, uh, twenty-two over par, second place with Cameron, thirty-five over. So. Uh, playing in some a little bit easier conditions today compared to yesterday, but still the shoot that's really well. Um, so shout out to them for being able to win um, by 13 shots. And I'm trying to pull up the individual leaderboard to see if anyone won, and I uh, my computer shut down. So if anyone won for OC, I deeply apologize. But 
uh, as the hunt man said, we had a man or machine error, and right now we have a machine error, boys. <laughs> <laughs> All right, boys. Well, the way I want to end the show, T-Dub, did the last three holes at TPC live up to your expectations? <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, my computer, uh, the machine works. We have uh, Matteo uh, Pulisini, I believe is how you pronounce it. He shot one over for the tournament. That's really good play in these conditions. And um, Alejandro um, Armillo finished uh, fourth for OC as well. So great playing, boys. Really proud of them. Um, going down to the last three holes, I think that, you know, Sam, we kind of alluded to this um, when we talked about the Paul Casey thing. I think that his ball, him not being able to go for that green, uh, really diluted the tournament a lot, in my opinion. Um, I love the fact that we had Cam Smith punching into the water on 18. That created a lot of excitement. Um, one of the few times that um, that we that we see that happen, obviously, since Adam Scott's really the last time that we can remember um, that going on. But I would have loved to see Casey go for it um, on 16. Um, I, we've talked about this before. I, I don't really like the, the right pin on 17, but I love the Cam Smith shot, even though it was a little bit lucky, like we were saying. And I also think that um, Lahiri's birdie also created a lot of drama. So I like that aspect. Um, I will say this about 18, though, guys. I, I think 18's probably my favorite hole amongst those three, um, especially with it being the finishing hole. But, you know, we, we kind of ripped on Chambly a little bit earlier, but I think he made a good point. Um, I think it was even before the tournament started that that front pin on and them putting that, the 18 pin on the front kind of, kind of makes it not as entertaining. Cause like whenever uh, Adam Scott hit in the water, it was a back right pin. And, uh, you know, like Craig Perks, when he chipped in in 2002, it was a back pin. And, you know, I just think with it being in the back, you have a longer club. You're more likely to miss it, more likely. You have to get a, a tougher shot because you're probably going, what, two clubs more, maybe even three comparatively if that pin's in the back or even the middle. Um, so I, I do think this, guys, I do. I, I think that the right pin on 16 is the best pin for that green. But I think that when we want to create Sunday drama for those three-hole finishes, we, we need a different pin on 17 and 18. Um, I'm sure you guys probably disagree with that, but what are your thoughts on that? I actually don't disagree with 18. I think the pin on 18 is fairly boring. I mean, guys can just throw it up to the front fringe, and, I mean, things kind of funnel right to left down to the hole. I think some of those other pins, that back right pin was pretty tough. I think that would make things really tough on guys coming down the stretch on Sunday. Maybe they do that to, to make it easier to make birdie. I, I don't know. Uh, I'd have to look at the numbers and see whether more birdies are made to that front flag. So I actually agree with you on 18. I disagree with you on 17 because – I like the dispersion of tee shots that you get when that pin is back right. You, you end up with some guys like uh, Keegan Bradley who still spin it down to the front. Then they've got to hit that crazy looping putt that's hard to get stopped near the hole. You get guys who try to go right at it, push it, you know, 15 feet and end up in the water. You get some that funnel down to the hole. You get some on the back level. I feel like the dispersion of tee shots to that back right pin is great. Also, if you want to put it on that lower back right level, I feel like you're picking up more on the field if you're willing to be aggressive there. Whereas the front pin, I don't know. I just kind of feel like all the tee shots to the front pin end up in virtually the same place. They either spin off the green into the water or they wind up underneath the hole with a 12-footer with a little bit of break in it uphill. So I do like the back right pin on 17. What do you think, Sam? The way I'll leave it with y'all is it's debatable whether it's the best three-hole finishing stretch on tour, but I know for a fact it's the most entertaining three-hole stretch or three-hole finish to watch on the PGA Tour because that was A-plus 
golf watching content on Saturday and then obviously the great finish on Sunday. I love 16. It's my favorite out of the three. 17 is 17 and 18 always produces some drama coming down the stretch. So I thought we had a great tournament at the players. We will be back with you guys next week and there is a big, big announcement. Next week we will be coming to you live and that's all I'm going to say. Have a great day, everybody, and go visit golfoklahoma.org. This has been the 73rd hole with Taylor and Colby and myself. The 73rd hole, the award-winning official podcast of Golf Oklahoma.